Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of interviews with professionals from a vast variety of industries to help you gain the exposure and the insider info you need to find a career path you'll love. If you're excited to live vicariously through people with super cool jobs, maybe even some you've never heard of, then you're in the right place. If you're looking for step-by-step guidance on how you could identify your calling and actually land a job that pays you to fulfill it, then go have a blast scrolling through the nearly 50 other episodes of Answer the Call waiting for you below this series. Today's episode is a very special conversation with a friend who serves as a full-time missionary overseas. This is such a rich conversation filled with wisdom and comfort in response to huge questions like, how do you really know when you're called to do anything? (laughs) Especially, how do you really know when you're called to move to another country and share the gospel of Christ with a largely unreached people group? Is it fear or guilt talking or is it God? How do you share the gospel with someone? How do you get over intimidating concepts like needing to raise funds to be able to go be a missionary and overcoming the temptation to have a savior complex? How do you prepare yourself to move to another country? And so, so much more. Seriously, there is so much packed into this amazing conversation. And I know this conversation is about missions in particular but it really felt like it was just about how to lead a faithful life as a follower of Christ, called to make disciples in all nations and in all sorts of ways, breaking down the line between sacred and secular work to see the purpose in all of it, discerning the unique purpose God has for your life, taking one step at a time, and not being held back by the myth that God has to make everything clear before you could do anything. I hope you savor this conversation as much as I did. Now let's dive right in. Abby, I am so excited and grateful to have you here to share about your experience as a full-time missionary overseas. Those are kind of the words that come to mind, but I, oh gosh, feel extra excited so much so that typically if people listen to this podcast they know I ramble a little bit before digging in and asking the questions I'm like I can't even wait let's just get right into it um into your story and all that so how would you describe what you do also welcome thank you yeah thanks Kelsey uh yes so my name is Abby and I am what I would call full-time staff an organization And my job, we have lots of things that we do in our work, but uh, I focus on university students. So if you ask me, what do you do? What I do is I invest in the lives of university students um, to win, build, and send them toward the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So I want to see spiritual movements started by groups of multiplying disciples, um, and that those movements would then go on to change the world. So, yes. Wow. A little breakdown. I w- I'd love to hear what it means to be a disciple in your eyes, because that's a word I don't feel is either used enough or fleshed out enough, because mm-hmm. to me, it's a bit different than just believer in Christ. I'll see. It's such a good question. I love that. <laughs> yes. So the way we would look at a disciple 
is someone who truly follows Jesus. So I think in, yeah, maybe the Christian world, you would say you might call somebody a, a believer or a Christian mm-hmm. even, and those are fine and like accurate biblical words, but the Bible really also talks about disciples, which in the biblical sense would be like an apprentice, like someone who learned under and became like the person they, they studied, became like their master. And so in our mind, a disciple is someone who is actively following Jesus and becoming more like him. Mm-hmm. So I think that could apply to anyone who follows Jesus anywhere in, in the church that's not just in our org. We have some specifics of the way we might seek to train disciples mm-hmm. or equip them. But I think in my mind, a disciple is someone who's actively following Jesus, who's growing in their faith and who's sharing that, who's multiplying their life. Amen. Oh man. It's so crazy. I've considered myself a Christian my entire life, sat through many a church service um, from being a wee little lass until the present. But it's so funny. I just don't feel like that is talked about enough. What does it really mean to be a disciple? I always called myself a believer and I think I actually acted like one. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was with the mission trip I took with this organization that you're a part of the summer after I graduated college. That was the first time I got introduced to this topic. And oh gosh, how, how beautiful. Yeah. And I think even it was described, if you, I could believe that North Korea exists but it doesn't change my day-to-day at all. So what does it mean in the same way to not just believe that Christ was who he said he was, but actually take up my cross and follow him? So another thing I would love for you to explain a little bit about for anyone who isn't familiar, what does it mean to fulfill the Great Commission? Oh, goodness. Uh, There's probably a few definitions of that. But from what I can read in the Gospels and the way we see kind of the book of Acts playing out is that Jesus was really clear in his commission to, in his last kind of word, sending out of his uh, disciples was to go into all the world, to all ethne, so to all people groups. So not just countries, but languages, tribes, um, kind of unique ethnographically described groups of people so that not just that they would know Jesus's name, but that they would know his story and they would be given a chance to respond. And I think, yeah, it's really difficult work and it's measured in different, in different ways. There's lots of good resources that you can check out to see how it's going. But then I think we see that in, in Revelation, it's like, how will we know when it's done? Well, when Jesus is back and and people are worshiping at his throne from every tribe and tongue and language. And so I don't quite know, you know, what that means specifically number wise for these things. It means that every people group and tribe has a significant enough presence of, of Mm -hmm. the church of disciples of Jesus in their community so that everyone could hear. Everyone. Yes. Go out to all the world and make disciples of all the nations it's just so special when you get to really see that happen. It's so easy, as you know, to just, as I'm sure you've seen other people just operating in their normal American lives or whatever, should just be disconnected from the act of doing, going, sharing as you do. So two other questions that kind of kick off the trifecta of my intro into 
uh, the other questions going on is I always ask, what are you all about? And then also, what's a career dream of yours, big or small? What am I all about, like, in my job? Oh, I mean, if you were just like, here's myself, Abby, in a nutshell, you might be all about, I don't know, corgis or something a lot more deep than that. (laughs) I suspect it's more on the deep end, just throwing out a wild guess. Dogs. I do love big dogs. Yes. I think if you, yeah, if people were to describe me or be like, what am I going to say? I think they would probably talk about how I love reading. I have a ton of books. Um, oh, I see them. I have a <laughs> behind you with buying them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really value like a lot of input and love kind of storing it away. Um, I do I love being outside. I just think there's something in me that's like, I gotta go. I love watching the sunset. I'm just really compelled to be outside for those things. I think I have a deep love of beauty and of what's true and of really good stories. And so I think something I really care about is helping people know their story and live a better story. And so I think that's partly why I love books. I, I love fiction. And so uh, it just tells me something that's more true sometimes than what I can see with my own eyes. And so it draws me into this kind of this bigger picture in reality that I believe we're living in. And so I think so many people are distracted and miss a lot of what they could be a part of by not living into their real story. So I feel really strongly about that. I knew it was going to be bigger than corgis. Gosh, wow. I do love dogs. Hear me on that. That was very poetic. What about that career dream? of yours? You know, that's a great question. I sometimes I'm like, where do I want to be in like 10 years? And I mean, I don't know. I think I would love to still be overseas as, as long as possible. I think people asked when I was first going over to East Asia, like, how long are you going to be there? Like, I don't know, expecting three or five years. And I was like, as honestly as I can say, as long as possible. So in my mind, like getting to invest my life in places get really strategically. I just think stewarding what I have really well. But I think along the lines of helping people tell their story, I've also had this like random pipe dream of like, wouldn't it be cool to travel around and like record people's stories and tell them? I'm like, wouldn't that just rock? And like, I can tell you, it kind of does. That's what I kind of do. (laughs) That's kind of what you do. (laughs) But like in in kind of hard to access places, like I would just go um, be a witness to kind of what they're doing and to Usually a lot of suffering, but a lot of joy and kind of, and then share that with people. I think it'd be cool. I demand you do it. <laughs> that would be amazing to get to hear. Mm-hmm. I want to hear all those stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just think they're really helpful. You know, they help stir us up. So that would be cool. Taking it back to kind of a standard, mm, when did you graduate college and what did you earn your degree in? Yes. So I went to the University of Oklahoma. And I graduated in 2012, so eight years ago now. And I have a degree, a Bachelor of Arts, studied anthropology. Okay, when did missions come into the picture for you? Like, did you have any other postgrad jobs, or did you always know that you wanted to do this? Yeah, yes, I kind of did, which I, I realize is a little bit odd. I wasn't really dragged kicking and screaming into this. Mm. Truthfully, ever since I was really little, missions has been on my radar. Yeah, my parents supported a lot of missionaries, and I 
kind of always just thought it was super cool and heard their stories and their pictures were on my fridge. I think I told my second grade teacher I wanted to be a missionary. So I'm just like living the dream. But it wasn't this like straight like arrow path to that. But even as I graduated high school, it was kind of like, what kind of job do you get when you really want to be a missionary? And, and, you know, I didn't have all this great direction of like, I was kind of like good at lots of stuff in school. So it didn't really help me narrow it down. And so, but I, I did, I decided anthropology was a good fit. And I really think it was because it taught me about people and, and cultures and how to um, yeah, kind of how to engage and, and ask different types of questions, maybe start to learn to ask the right kinds of questions as you engage in different, different cultures and look for meaning and worldview. So that was helpful, very secular, but yeah, missions as really, truly a career really happened while I was in college on some summer mission trips with this org. First went to Russia and wow. it was horrible. It wasn't the trip's fault. It was me. I had a really awful time my first summer. We shared a lot, tried so hard and it was so hard and nothing happened. Like literally we were like, why were we here for five weeks? I didn't see anything happen according to our, you know, limited vision. And then I was asked to go back a second time and I said, yes. And why? <laughs> so a big thing that happened for me in college too, was I started a prayer group and we met on Sunday nights, every Sunday night, and we would pray for our campus and for the world using a book called Operation World. Like it wasn't fancy. It probably wasn't very good, but it worked. And every single one of us then went on to go on a summer trip. Many people went for one or two years overseas, and some of us have joined staff. And so there's something happens in your heart when you start to pray for people you will never see and never know. I began to really be burdened in, in a true sense of like, it, it, I felt a weight of care for, for this and for this mission and, and for these people. They became real to me. So I decided to go back. It wasn't because I just loved Russia. It was because my yes was on the table. And then that second summer, so this was kind of the ding moment for me was that summer, a girl, we were like a week away from finishing, wrapping things up. And I get this message from this girl named Yulia, who I'd met the summer before. How in the world she found me? We had these little dinky Nokia phones. Like, I don't know. I have no clue. She got my number somehow. And she was like, Abby, I really want to meet with you. And I was like, okay. So I go to this coffee shop with this other guy on my team. He just sits over a different table and we're talking and about an hour in. She goes, Abby, I wanted to tell you after you left last summer, I became a Christian. And I just like stared at her and started crying. She goes, Ippy, don't cry. And I was like, yeah, it's happy tears. It was just a, a moment for me of like, God cares so much more about students than I ever could. I like operated with this hubris that I really care about people and care about the world. But like, God is so much more committed to them than I ever could be. And then this moment too of like, if this is what this is like, like I want to do this for real, like that this could be my job. It was just like, oh my gosh, that's the dream. Like this compelling sense of like, I want to be a part of this. So kind of the, all you know, these threads in different ways and lots of deep, long planted seeds, but kind of some moments of clarity in there of like, I really want to be about that. Wow. Well, okay. I'm going to force myself to move on with questions and not just sit here in stunned awe and just be a useless podcast host. (laughs) Um, But back when you were younger in high school, even before knowing that you wanted to be a missionary, was it 
difficult to even decide to go to college? You know, I don't think it was. Um, I don't remember that being difficult. I think I felt like I surely would need a degree in something. I think I felt like I was like at seven. I mean, I graduated when I was seventeen, so that felt super young to like. Oh do yeah. Thing. And I wasn't clear on like what it would look like, and so I was like, I think I want to do that, but I don't know how. So it was like, what about all these seriously parts of the world where babies die because they're not held? Like they just don't make it. It just like was, I had a little bleeding heart, you know, just like a seventeen-year-old. So yes. it was so like I don't know what I would end like what direction to go with it. So that wasn't really a hard decision for me. And I love you. So yeah. So what about the last eight years? What has your journey in missions? Don't you like how casual that question was? Like, what about the last eight years, Abby? Um, yeah. What has the journey been like for you? And I think you might have gone to another place for missions, if I'm correct. And then um, just going further and further into like, no, this is my home now with mm -hmm. East Asia. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Years. Yes. So I, at the, toward my end of my senior year, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on this track. I want to do this. So our company has um, what they call like a short-term internship overseas. So you commit to a year or two at a time. And I think it's a great way to see, like, is this something that I really do see as an opportunity for the way I want to invest my time in my life? It isn't the choice for everybody, but I was like, absolutely. Like, I just had no hesitations. I was like, get me there. So I applied and was accepted, and uh, but didn't have a placement because I was the only person who had applied to go back to Russia. And that we really value teams. And so it was like, well, that's not going to work. So I was asked to consider going to a different location to join the team going to Ethiopia, which is not in Russia or in Europe. So not even was, close. It was like a really different. Yeah. And so I'd never thought about it before. I'd never considered that as an option. It was like, what? Had a weekend to decide. Oh, such a yeah. big life decision for three days. Yeah. But I was out of town on this research thing and um, had a lot of time in, you know, my hotel room in the evening. And so watched a David Platt sermon about Revelation 5. Oh, he'll get you. It'll get you. So that to me was another moment of like, you know what? I think this maybe is where I'm being like redirected to because I really do care about the unreached. Yeah, caring about, okay, who, who doesn't even have an opportunity? Like, how could I be a part of answering that problem in the world? Mm -hmm. And so kind of was like, oh, well, guess I'm going. And so I said, yes. And it, it was kind of always like my yes is on the table. Whether other people are going with me or not, I feel like that's been a theme of my story is like, I'm saying yes, even if I feel like I'm alone doing it. It wasn't. And that, that's difficult sometimes. It feels really lonely. So um, difficult. Yeah. But it also, to me, was like, why wouldn't I say yes? Like, if I really believe that, like, this is worthy of my life and my time, then and it's a yes. So for me, that, that was kind of the journey that I think the story that God's writing in my life. So I was there for two years. So I went for a year, went back for another year while I was there, decided that I wanted to join staff, thought that I had messed everything up in every way, just really felt like a big failure, which I think probably most missionaries have. And I hadn't messed up everything, but as a 23 year old, that was what I thought. But it was in that kind of as I was in, sitting in all of that, that a staff member was like, I really want you to join. And, and I was like, really? Like, 
she just could see further than I could in my own story a little bit. And so um, that helps kind of give me hope that it wasn't done yet. So I knew I wanted to join staff, did not think that Ethiopia was a place I was going to be, wouldn't really thrive there, do well there, or see a clear path for the future. So it was like, okay, what do I do now? And so I uh, was praying again through Operation World, telling me that book, it'll change you. And was praying for Eustasia for two weeks. And I couldn't even say the name. So I was like, I don't know, man. And just really felt like God was inviting me to, to go. Like, Abby, you, you could go there. And I was like, oh, no. And so I went to bed. <laughs> but the idea haunted me and it just wouldn't let me go. And so just was clear, like, okay, I think this is where my next yes is. I think it's on the table here. And more so than even the others, but it was like, okay, next step, next step. It was like, no, I really feel like like this is where all these pieces for so long have been kind of directing me this way. So that's how I got. And then, so I just finished like five years serving there. So came back, joined, raised support, and then reported in 2015. Dang. I love what you said about, well, in my vernacular that I typically use of uh, talking so much about the concept of a calling Mm -hmm. um, to go here, to go there and not saying that's one thing for your whole life. Like God in his timing in each season called you back to Russia for another summer. He called you to Ethiopia for two years. And there was another, I'm sure that you get callings quote from him on the daily. Who do I speak to? Mm -hmm. What do I say? But in this moment of, it's not Ethiopia, I am called to be on staff, but where? You described just praying and asking God to open your heart to one direction. And when you thought, is it East Asia? You said, oh, no, what? Uh, No, thank you, what? Um, But you said, it just kept on kind of haunting me. That... I wanted to highlight that because receiving a calling is not actually typically hearing a voice in like tangibly in the air writing in <laughs> nope. the sky. with yeah. writing in the sky, writing on the wall, mm-hmm. um, direct instructions. But for so many different people, it could be a convicting thought. It could be an idea that won't let loose in your mind, like it just haunts you, you, and maybe not always in a negative context, you just can't let it go. It's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that you said that. Cause just this last Friday, I was talking with a client who is having trouble trusting that she's actually being called to a certain direction because the only evidence at this time is that it's a thought that she hasn't been able to let go of actually for the last couple of years, but it's easy to believe the lie at times that it has to be tangible, dramatic directions. (laughs) What would you say to that? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I think that word calling is so hard because it's like, what? Like there's so much, so many different ways like people have used it, uh, sometimes to justify things that you're like, there is no way that you were called to that. You know, I think there's like emotional, like reluctance or baggage associated with it. So yeah, I, I have, I do hear people talk about it or they're like, well, I don't know, I'm trying to discern. And you probably are familiar with this book. There's a book called The Next Right Thing. Oh, yes. Emily P. Freeman. We all love her. Um, 
I, I think I, I tend to like think that way even spiritually or about these things. It's like, do the next right thing in love, the next right thing in love and walking in the power of the spirit. And I, yeah, I don't think it feels like you feel great about it all the time or like it's not difficult and hard, but yeah, kind of the idea of like it got lodged in you and it won't get back out. Like, well, did that come from Satan? Probably not, you know, so. Probably not. You have all good reasons that you want to serve in this function. Yeah, yeah. gosh, it is so, it's so hard. Yeah, I think sometimes too, though, we, this could just be like an Abby opinion. So don't like quote this like it's in the Bible, which it's not, it's not. Bible's tricky about calling. Book of Abby. Very about what it means to follow Jesus. And I would yeah. say, well, then like do that with your life and like try some stuff. And so I'd say like be a wise steward and live like for heaven and you're probably going to land somewhere within a range that's like very good. And God mm. would probably like be very jazzed about that because he's not like needing you. He's just glad that you're with him and he wants to give you opportunities to be with him. And so I think a lot of pressure um, can be taken off. I think sometimes we use the word calling in an effort to take the responsibility off of ourselves and put it back mm-hmm. on God. Mm-hmm. That could be wrong and I'm not, I, I don't, I don't know, um, but I, I just wonder if sometimes it's like, well, if I'm called, then it's like, it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. oh, it's God's fault. Or if it goes poorly, I can be mad at him. But it's a, just an interesting way of like a bind we put ourselves in sometimes of like, I can't do it without feeling this. And I'm like, hmm. So yeah, I think I've never, I, I sometimes feel like, oh yeah, I have this calling. And so it's like, oh, I guess I do. I don't in my mind usually think about it like that. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh. You just said 105 helpful things. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that was, why did you just say, sorry, that was amazing. And I love, okay. So nuggets, you're more action oriented. You don't let the idolization of calling and what you think that has to look like hold you back. So then if you do receive said calling in some satisfactory um, humanistic measure, then you could say things like, well, God, it's not going well. You didn't call me out here to suffer, did you? And sometimes it's just, we got to take our own responsibility for things and then also realize that trials are a natural part of life and a gift and all this stuff. But, oh gosh, there were so many other helpful things that you said. Anyway, I guess the listeners don't need a recap from me. They could just rewind, listen, and hopefully write that down and memorize it forever. Cool. So speaking of topics that have some baggage around it, you know, full-time missions, especially overseas, often do. So I have personally felt, had a lot of friends say, and even clients say, things they're struggling with, like, does finding God's calling for my life just mean going into full-time missions, working at a church full-time in some capacity, or is working in a, quote, regular job, maybe business or something like that, second rate, or am I not participating in the Great Commission or whatever? Um, And so there is a lot of struggle that people often experience this inner turmoil when you hear about someone doing such amazing things for the kingdom as you. And I'm sure you've encountered that in your own friendships. So what is your encouragement typically to that person who is struggling with seeing their purpose in the kingdom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big question. But I think you, yeah, you mentioned some important things about that. I think a uh, 
something I feel like I've been as yeah I have people say like oh I could never do that or blah 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 and I'm like yeah you could like I, there's nothing super special or or different about me and that or about people who do this I think so what's interesting is if you watch anyone who loves what they do and who's good at what they do, isn't it like awesome? Like isn't yes. there something that happens in you that's like, I, I love to watch people do or talk about stuff that they're passionate about or that they're good at. Like it's just rocks. And so I, I think there's maybe something if you're like, oh, I'm watching this fit somebody really well. What if it doesn't fit me that way? Well, if, what, if, what if I'm terrified every time I'm trying to share the gospel with my coworker? Like, does that mean that I, you know, so I just think it's like, oh, oh, there's so many layers there for people to pull apart. And so one, it's like, well, if you're watching someone who's clearly like loving what they do, then rejoice in that with them. And it's okay that it's not, I, there's things that people are good at that I'm like, nope, absolutely <laughs> not. You know, like I could not do that. So something that I come back to, oh, there's a, zillion things. I will try to be concise. One thing, Eric Little, very famous missionary to a place I love dearly, uh, was an Olympic runner, chariots of fire, you know, the music. And the, he says something. There's a famous quotation of his, I'm sure you know. Um, it's like, he's very committed. He has this very clear calling. He's going to be a missionary, but he runs and he's really fast. And he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Like God made me to do this, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel this pleasure. And I think there's something that I really like want people to step back from like what I do to like, who am I in Jesus? And, and there's no hierarchy of Christians. Like that's, that doesn't exist. And there's, yeah, I think there's a need for people to do full-time ministry. There absolutely is. But I think there's, a need for people to do all kinds of things. And you can fry French fries to the glory of Jesus. The same way that I could share the gospel in my flesh, or I could share in the power of the spirit. One of those honors God and one of them doesn't. So it seems more spiritual, but spiritual activity done apart from Jesus is not, it's death. And so secular activity done apart from Jesus does not, it's, it's death too, but you you doing a podcast, you do a coaching your clients, like that can be done in your flesh or it can be done in the spirit. And one yeah. of those offers Jesus. D does that make sense? So I just feel yes. like there's this sense of for really um, Americans are really driven. Like there, we're probably going to struggle with this maybe more than other people. And honestly, different cultures would see this differently. Where mm -hmm. I serve, it is very much a calling. And it's like, there's a, there's a way that they see it differently. So I think some of these are a Western American struggle that we have about our identity. But I would say that even as someone that's a full-time minister of the gospel, that, oh, I had a thought and it just left me. Oh, but I've experienced so much more joy and freedom when I just realized that like, I can do this out of like a loving response that if I didn't have this job anymore, God would not be any more or less pleased with me. That if I can't say that I might be in a little bit of trouble. Does that make sense? It's not that I yes. would experience like kind of devastating loss. Like I would be very, very sad because I care a lot about it. But, but my identity being in my job is a little bit dangerous because oh, absolutely. for anyone. Right. And, and so, but I think especially for those of us who do spiritual work, it's, we've got some tricky lines to watch out for. And I think we can unwittingly communicate that to other people. I do think the American church needs to take missionaries off a pedestal. Oh, I would Ooh, like can you talk about that for a bit? <laughs> um, I think a lot of people feel the pressure that they do 
because people are like, oh, that mission hurries, and they hold them up, and I think it's, I mean, I I, list, I love missions conferences, right? My church always did one growing up. Oh, it was my favorite thing. I love to hear their stories because it's, it's like exciting, like cool stuff is happening, but it's not like they're coming back like we're doing the real work. I think that being the church, shoot, I think that's harder sometimes than what I do because the church is called to disciple every believer. My job, I have to be a little more selective because I don't have unending time, neither does the church, but it's a, like as a parachurch organization, my specific target and calling as a part of that is very different. And so I just like, no, people that I think it's actually harder to have what you call a regular job and do ministry than to have a job like mine, which is like, that's the whole thing. Does that make sense? So yeah, I just think we have this wild separation of secular and sacred that I don't see in scripture. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love talking about that because when I finally realized it, I, I think I really just learned it from Timothy Keller's Every Good Endeavor. Was um, just, yeah. That yeah. was the one that really helped me realize that that changed everything. It really actually served as the foundation for the vision that became what I do now. Okay. Necessary encouragement issued to people that are struggling, seeing the dignity and calling in all work. Also, Work was pre-call. Oh. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now because you're interested in making any kind of career pivot, I wanted to let you know I'm here to help you do just that in record time without the stress of analysis paralysis or the fear of making the wrong choice. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kelsey Kemp. I'm a career coach specialized in helping Christians discern their unique calling and practically land a job that pays them to fulfill it so you could have an impactful and a meaningful career. Trust me, I get it. Picking a singular career path out of the sea of options, then making a potential industry pivot to get into that line of work can be insanely daunting. That's why I created the Deep Dive Career Coaching Program so you could have me by your side, walking you through each step of the career transition process from discerning God's will for your life and what path you're truly called to take to finding the exact job title that aligns with that, then getting hired for that position with confidence and speed. I'm here to be your personal career coach from start to finish. My signature two-month private career coaching program includes seven weekly coaching sessions with me, access to the library of guides and workbooks I've created to clearly guide you through your transition, as well as unlimited support from me in between sessions to help you nail down all the practicals like your networking strategy, messaging, your resume, and interviews and negotiations. I will help you save a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications that is so associated with the typical job hunt. I'm here to help you land the job you're called to with confidence and speed. If all that sounds like a dream to you, then I want to formally invite you to apply for my deep dive private career coaching program. To take the first step, go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through your unique challenges and achieve your highest goals so you could fulfill the vision and hopes God has put on your heart for your career. 
I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and you're ready to accelerate your path to building an impactful career aligned with who God made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to get started. Okay, now back to the episode. There is another side of things that I would love for you to talk about, which is the necessity of encouragement for more people to become aware of the opportunity to do full-time missions work, especially overseas. What are your thoughts on that? What is the encouragement you would like to issue? Because there are people that need to be made aware of this as an option. Totally. totally. Yeah. I want to be, it's like when I say that, I want to be so clear that if like Jesus is calling you to be a doctor, be the doctor, like do that. I need doctors. I need carpenters. You know, I'm like, I need that. And how much better if you're a Christian? Also, I look way too many students in the eye who have no one to tell them the gospel. Way too many. So to me, I'm like, there's, there's so much a need, not just in my country, the, in many, particularly in our part of the world, more people, you know, that map where there's a circle, it's like more people live inside this than outside of it. Okay. So the most unreached people groups in the world are, are right there and they're hard to get to physically, spiritually, politically, like there's all of these reasons why they are unreached. And they're not problems to be fixed. They're not projects. Um, They are people with souls that will last into eternity. So I don't, I think we can sometimes, it's like, go, go, go. And we have this vision and mission, especially in my org. But it's because we care about people because they are infinitely valuable because God made them and they bear his image. And so uh, I just think there's way too many problems in the world for us to not be bothered about it bothered about what's happening and shouldn't be lots of great orgs doing stuff with that bothered about what's not yet and should be you know so so I'm like whichever side kind of moves you the most like if you want to join IJM do it like do what you can you know but they need lawyers it's like all these ways that we can't separate these but specifically like for someone joining staff with an organization like people need spiritual help they need someone to share the gospel and people often bring up tent making. Well, Paul made tents. <laughs> he did. Do you know what he did when his friends arrived with more support? He stopped making tents. So he could start doing it full time. So we see both. I think some parts of the world are only accessible through a business um, or through another means. And I get that. But I think I can give so much more of my time to students, to evangelism, to discipleship, to, to mobilizing. And those are all really worthy causes because Jesus is worthy of that time. So he's worthy of a full-time commitment. He's worthy of your whole life. That's true for everybody. But I think specifically in what we do, it is a job. It's work. Yes. I have to learn a new language, you know? And so it's like- A hard bad. one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they're all hard, but yeah, so so I think something I've grown in is seeing it that it is a job, like it, it is a, a career. I, I learn and grow and I attend trainings. You know, it's like I'm people work really hard at this, the same way that they work hard at other jobs. So it's not just like, well, when are you going to get a real job? It's like, oh, it is no. a real job. Yeah, yeah. I think it helps to think of the people that maybe have been involved in your life in a in a significant way and like like a pastor or something. It's like, well 
what if they hadn't been able to give their full time? Just maybe the impact that it would have made. So, but please come there. There's too, too much wrong in the world to, to yeah. engage in it. There's a, a quotation. I can't remember where it originally started, but it's like where the world's deep need and your deep gladness meet. Like that's oh. what the world needs. Yes, in a similar way, the version of that that I heard is where the world's needs intersect with your greatest ability or talent, and then hopefully the intersection is also your passion, then boom, yes. Yes. <laughs> go at it with all you've got. Yeah. I am eager for you to share any other misconceptions I know that you started to kind of open up about them there that full-time missions work is real work it is a career you are very invested in it there's so much more to it than just sitting around and having sweet conversations that inspire tears no (laughs) not at all so what if anything else is a common misconception about missions that you have encountered oh yeah I think some of them have been in my own head um, to, you know, it's not just other people. Sometimes it's the things that I've carried with me that have been wrong. Um, missions are, or maybe missionaries. Missionaries are not any, yeah, any better or more holy. They, they kind of have the same struggles as anyone else. I think there's uniquenesses about our lives that, yeah, they're just the same way that like a professional athlete has uniquenesses about their life. You know, it's like, mm. well, of course, any, set of people or set of job is going to look really different. But yeah, I think that I would always like maybe feel really fulfilled in doing this. That's a misconception. I think looking to your job to provide what only Jesus can give you is an idol. That's a problem. So I've often looked for ministry success as like kind of as evidence as like proof positive that I should be doing this. So that's on my side, I think. Yes, some misconceptions that like what success should look like or does look like or will mean. Those are different kind of even based on your target audience, right? Like of young professionals, it might look different than college students, than high schoolers, than orphan ministry or to the the most underprivileged in society. So um, so there's that. Probably there's there's so many more. So many. I mean, one area that you started to just hint at is having a position that requires support raising. I'm sure that is such a topic to get into. Thank you for bringing that up. Money. Yes. <laughs> Money is a big one that actually keeps a lot of people away from the field. And I am not an authority on this. And I think there's ways that people land. So from my experience, one, I think people should talk about it more. I just think money should be talked about more in the church and in families and stuff. Yeah, that support or like living on support feels weird. I think people have lots of emotional responses to it. And I think something we have to be careful about is not aligning our emotional response with like as the biblical response or as um, the way to see it. Like this is right and this is true. Just because I feel strongly about something. Does that make sense? So thinking like, okay, money, living on support isn't a second rate way to live. It doesn't mean that I can't, that as a missionary, I just like have to suffer. So like I should, like I shouldn't buy that nicer thing or like I shouldn't get a dryer or I shouldn't. And it's like, what? So I I just think um, with a lot of the money questions, it's really good to help with some like safe in that of like what 
in your family story or in your church like was taught to you about that and I know too so I just think it's an area to be really gracious to people in because I've served people from different orgs who do money differently and who raise it or don't raise it or are supported by churches and so it can just be um, a little bit complex but that's when I think yeah or that missionaries have to be like just poor like just mm. um that's tricky that's really tricky because yeah. yeah I cannot even pretend to say what the answer is for that I think it's following like God's leading but yeah is are you living in a way that helps you like effectively communicate the gospel I'd say would be a good question yeah but that is a word it is a word <laughs> um, for sure and so if somebody's coming to you and saying Abby I'm thinking about going and being staff or doing a one or two year stint and being a missionary but I'm so nervous about raising support I don't want to ask my friends family peers whatever and neighbors for money what is the I guess the brief advice that you give them to do the best you can to relieve the pain or any lies and fears that are coming up mm, yeah that's a it's a great question I think I think as we've yeah asked people to come back often money is a barrier I would I would just start by asking questions I find people don't normally need my advice so much as they yeah just need to think a little bit more clearly or understand kind of what's motivating those things. So I would just ask like more about their vision, like, well, why? Like, tell me what, what would make you interested in this? Like, why would you want to come? And then I would ask about what the fear is. Like, um, what is it that would keep you? What are you afraid of happening? What's the worst case? So I hear that. And I feel those things too. When I have to pick up the phone and call, like, Raising support is, it's really difficult, but it's not something you just have to get over to get to your job, to get to the mission. It is a part of it. It is ministry, it's relationship. And so I think something that I hold on to in that is that these people that I'm, I'm talking to, I'm actually inviting them to be a part of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a second rate, like, well, you aren't going so you can just give money. It's like, I need to give because I need my money to be going to the Great Commission. Like I actually need to give far more than people need the money. And so recognizing and remembering that like, we get this gift of offering people. It seems weird and it, until you maybe really think about it or really have to examine your own heart. Like, do I believe that like, I really need this opportunity to be meaningfully engaged that like Jesus would be so gracious to like, let me partner with him. So it's like people really, they're giving to me and, and people give because they like me or they like the mission. Like some people give because it's you, some people give because yeah. it's the mission. So th- there's both, but I think I don't want to sell people short. Like there's a, Henry Nguyen has a, a book called The Spirituality of Fundraising. It's gold. I just have them read that. Somebody else with a different org actually recommended it to me. I met with them to ask for support and they joined my team. I was like, you're a missionary? I'm confused. Anyway, very gracious. And he like then sent me this book. He was like, I think you should read it. I make my staff read it. And I was like, okay. It just really challenges the way that we see people as like, it's like an economic transaction and it's really a relationship. Mm. That was a long answer. I would mostly ask questions first, and then I would gently challenge them to consider that. Oh, wise words. If more people were like you and realized that most of the time we have the answers, we just need to do a little bit of digging to relieve some of the burdens that make us believe that we don't have them. Um, 
you know what to do, really. <laughs> it's okay. Really have an idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're just scared. So what is a typical day in the life like for you? In your activities, the tasks that you spend most of your time doing, and your hours of kind of quote work. No, mm-hmm. not quote, real work. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's hard, right? Yeah. So, you know, well, currently I'll, I'll say for when we're in country, like, like in the fall semester, kind of what our, what our schedule looked like. So we are language students. That's our visa that we're on. And so um, my school, we have 20 hours of class a week. So we go to class for four hours a day in the morning. It's a lot. And, and so then the rest of our time, so mainly like lunch through afternoon to evening is broken up into some team meetings FaceTime with students and kind of planning. So those, for for me as a team leader, the I do a little more planning than other members of my team. But the priority, kind of the best hours of our day, we want to give to FaceTime with students. And so that would look like um, getting lunch with them, getting coffee or tea in the afternoon. They usually have class, so usually meals we've discovered in our context work pretty well for most people. And so. Yeah, we we kind of move students through a process of getting to know them and then initiating spiritual conversation and then getting to share the gospel with them and giving them kind of an opportunity to make a decision about Jesus from what they know right there. So that's what a lot of our time is spent doing in our FaceTime. Yeah, we have kind of things you might expect. We have like a prayer, staff prayer time. We have staff meeting. We do men's and women's time where we kind of spend time um, going through some material together and connecting in that way and then I plan with my co-leader every week so yeah it's usually like a 40 to 45 hour week of of language class and we would love to have less class uh to do other things but that's that's where we are right now so many people in our context have language class for a chunk of their time and then kind of the other half we split up between FaceTime and yeah development and meetings and stuff yeah, here's the big question I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about. How do you actually go about sharing the gospel message? And mm-hmm. I'm very excited to hear your response because I'm sure anyone, it doesn't matter where you're doing this or who you are or what you're great at, like this is something that is so encouraging to hear because it could just feel like a petrifying thing. Sharing my faith? What? <laughs> oh, man. Um, there are several ways that we can do this. I have found that using like a tool and we use apps because um, they're more secure just to have it on your phone and not like something in your hand. We just found that those are really helpful. They keep you on track. They give you something to look at. That's not just the other person. If you forget or you're really nervous and we struggle with language, like they just really help us in a lot of ways. And I've even found as I've done it, well, I've shared in lots of different countries and I've used the same one everywhere. So what I've discovered is familiarity with whatever tool you're using is a really big key. So it's not people um, I've experienced can get really hung up on like if one thing is the right way or not. And it's like, I hear that. And some of those are productive conversations and some of them are not. And so what I've discovered is that what's more useful is becoming familiar with a couple of ways to share. One should be your own story, like your own engagement with the gospel. As someone who became a a Christian when I was really small and then just kind of continued on, I don't have a big like before Jesus and after Jesus. So I've had to do some work of like, how do I connect my story to this person 
who's mm-hmm. never even heard of Jesus. So sometimes that isn't the best way in right away because it would be so distant from them. So in our context, in a very not Christian, not religious country is the pre-work is actually pretty critical. So I think sometimes people just want to jump to the gospel and it's like, well, maybe, but what if they're not ready? Like, what if they, they're not. um, Sorry, if anyone can hear my cat purring, it's because now he insists every interview must feature him. So he's in my lap and coming up to the mic. So sorry. So I think um, something that I've discovered in doing evangelism is it's not just the moment that I'm presenting the gospel, but it's really like the buildup. And so not just where I serve, but here, like people care about things because they know you care about them and they're willing to listen and share. And so I think in having a couple of tools in your pocket of like, here's how I would have a conversation or just knowing some good questions asking questions is one of the best ways that I share the gospel. Like Jesus was asking questions all over the place and it's not because he didn't know the answer. It's because he was giving people an opportunity to respond to him and to engage with him. And so I think one of the best ways that we can model Jesus to other people is by being interested in their life and by letting them share. So learning to ask good questions, knowing the kinds of questions that are important to ask. So like in your context, or I'm thinking of like, I live in the Dallas area. So young professionals, like I need to know what they care about. And I need to know the kinds of things that are appealing to them or that they're going to struggle with Mm -hmm. to engage in that way. There's a tool we use called perspectives. It's one of my favorite things. It asks really particular questions about worldview. They share, I get to share, we're prepped and ready to go. And I've asked critical questions to help me know where they might struggle. So that's one big thing is the the buildup, the pre-work, the getting to know that like that's really important because you you're caring about them. Yeah, and, and showing that you're genuinely interested in them really goes a long way to then being open. And then there's like a critical moment of like you just have to decide to go for it. And I still get nervous and I still get scared sometimes of like, oh, what if they reject it? And like, I really like this person and I want them to say yes, but what if they don't? Like, what if it means I have to move on? I can't spend as much time with them. Like all these other questions of that and, and there's many different philosophies of how, how do you go a long 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 time do you just share and move on can't answer that question right now but I would say you actually have to share with words mm. you cannot just sometimes use words Mm-mm, the gospel is words so you need to share with them clearly about what they were created for that it's lost that Jesus is the way to restore it and that they have to make a choice that can happen in lots of different ways, but I just think we, you can't wimp out. You've got to share that. That's really good mm-hmm. news for people, and people actually really need good news. So I would say if you're like, I don't know what to do, we use an app called God Tools, and there's so many different versions of like just how to, you just sit down with someone and go through it and ask. So I would say do that. Know how to share your story. The, people use the Romans Road. Like, I mean, there's many ways, but earn kind of earn the right a little bit to share with them oh yeah actually do it like just do it it's scary and it's awkward and it's awesome yes thank you for saying you must share with words because that nasty little quote about like um, share the gospel always and if necessary use words oh my gosh that drives me nuts I'm like but if you don't use words are they just supposed to assume the personhood of Jesus and exactly what the resurrection means and how to handle repentance by watching you in that spreadsheet every day confused about that I'm sure Jesus explained with words he did 
Yes. So I, I think I understand the heart that like your whole life should be a witness to the gospel. And I agree. Um, but I would say, oh, the words people can't just know. They're given evidence of God's existence. But how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone goes? And how can they go unless they are sent? So Yes, absolutely. One quick thing I love to ask everybody is just what are the the highs and the lows? You know, what you love about your job yeah. and what is difficult. What do I not love? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I do love sharing the gospel. I really do. Like, I love getting to be across from a student and, like, tell them the good news um, and then be like, I have never heard this before. Like, I know, it's wild. I just something, it just, yeah, it's, like, new for me when I do it and it rekindles in me. Like, I think, like, I'm, I need this. So I really love that. I love leading my team. It's just really fun to me to help give direction and try stuff and care for people. And that is also, uh, it's not a not fun thing. It's just a difficult thing. It's hard. Leading people's hard, but very rewarding. Yeah. I love seeing students really like get it, like take steps of faith or do really challenging things. I think it's really cool when, when they start to just really engage. Um, And it might be in steps that don't seem big to us or significant, but are, are significant in their life. I think that's really cool to see people really take ownership. Yeah, things that are hard or not as fun. I also really like learning languages. So uh, to me, that part is like a both. Like it's like this rocks. And when you get to explain something, you're like, I did it. And then later you're like, I super said the wrong thing, but I thought I did it right. So I think a lot of the embarrassment of that is really hard for me. (laughs) I mean, there's victories along the way, but so, so that can be hard. Living overseas is both really good in the sense of it's, it's, like challenging it's like risky sometimes it's fun I get to learn and experience new things yeah but I think it it can be difficult you go through kind of like these curves these adjustment curves and so the low sides of some of those are just really tough I don't always love that yeah in terms of my job too man it's not just paperwork (laughs) I know what to be yeah gosh sometimes I just don't love some of that. I'm, I, I know there are things that as I do them, I'm like, it's this that I don't like. Well, I think what a nice thing to just kind of not have them all I'm present sure in mind. I will think of like 30 things. I'm like, man, I don't like that either. But um, no. Well, may the redeeming qualities always be top of mind. <laughs> I, would, I love it. Or choose to look at them in, instead. Yeah, dealing with difficult people. Actually, I, th- I think sometimes that that can be hard. And I might be the difficult person in that situation. Um, but I just think on a team overseas, you don't, you can't get away. And so sometimes man, you're stuck with them, but gosh, it's been one of the most like sanctifying parts of my life is letting people impact me and me impact other people. Yes. And you just kind of made me think of one thing I've heard from my other friends who are in full-time missions is that one of the biggest aspects that isn't talked about enough and it could be a make it or break it point is the team element who you're with and I think I heard some statistic about most people leave the missions field because of team difficulties so what do you have to say about how you could be equipped for that and just anything any advice for helping that go as easily as possible 
Thank you for asking about that. Yeah, that is, I, I've heard that too, and I've read some stuff about it. Is it really true? So I'm like, well, <laughs> I would believe it. The thing is, people are really difficult because people are complex and we're broken and we're being redeemed. And so everyone shows up to the table with their own dysfunction and their whole like family backstory. And then there's like eight of you bringing all of your dysfunction to one team. And so if you just think about like, how could any of that go well at all? It's kind of a miracle that it does. And so you said something really great. Like how, what could you do to prepare for that? Oh, Kelsey, I think being a student of yourself and of others goes a long way. There's something that my team has been focusing on for the past year, and I've been in counseling for a really long time, and so I would say if at all you're ever like, should I see? Yes, you Yes. Like, even if it's just a couple times, like, you've got hurts and pains in your life, and you've probably developed ways of coping that are going to be unhelpful eventually, that they were probably good, and then they're done, and you get to learn new ways of being in Jesus's family. And so emotionally healthy spirituality, Peter Scazzaro, highly. Yes. <laughs> that for anyone, and then there's emotionally healthy relationships, emotionally healthy leader. There's kind of, I'm like advertising for him, but truly like I think the, the deep work that needs to happen like these are all disciple you asked about being a disciple they're discipleship things it's about my whole life becoming one that follows Jesus and being willing to engage with your emotions Lord yes being willing to look at your own story you got to go back to go forward kind of learning the ways that you like the laws and rules you have in your head of like this is right or this is what I do when I'm angry or, or when I'm sad I think if you don't know that, you're going to unconsciously like bring that to bear on other people. And so it's not that you're broken and messed up. We all are. But I think it's a like an unawareness that's actually the hardest part. So I would say the best thing that you could do, anyone could do, honestly, is like engage in that. Engage deeply with yourself, with the Lord, and with community. Like that will transform you. And that doesn't just have to happen overseas. Don't wait for it to happen overseas. Yeah. Even. Like start... I just think there's such richness there waiting for you if you'll engage in that. But to me, the, it's like an, the hardest things that I've observed are an unwillingness and an unawareness. Like those two things, I think actually that make it harder. Like I'm like, I've been the hard person on the team. I've totally felt like I fell apart and, and my team didn't know how to help. And it was really, really bad. And I've also seen it like somebody having a hard time and they're like, they're in it and they're engaging. And I'm like, that's, that's okay. You're okay. It's okay to be like that. And it's okay to struggle with depression. It's not okay to deny it and to pretend it's not there and to not maybe like get help that you need. Does that make sense? So oh, we yeah. live in reality and we want to live like in grace and truth over time. Like that's how we're going to grow. So being willing to engage in the process. Also, if there's like big sin issues, like they need to be worked on. Um, like you, you've got to get help and accountability. I would say those things will only get harder and worse. Lots of like you struggle with kind of areas of sexual sin in particular. I just want to make sure that's yeah. like on the table. Like yeah. they will only become harder overseas. And so, because everything feels more intense. And so your desire to cope feels more intense. That is human. But anyway, dealing with that, getting doing some work on that beforehand and making sure you have accountability as you're there too. Those are, those are big things. Yes. I was going to ask you more broadly what uh, you feel someone needs to be equipped or prepared for before actually doing the thing and moving overseas. 
you just hit on some major ones. Uh, are there any others you would mention or even anything you would say to make sure that someone's heart is prepared for mm-hmm. missions? I would like, I'm sure as you would, to resist the idea that someone needs to be perfect before getting a new job, perfect before getting married, perfect before moving overseas and becoming a full-time missionary. But I'm sure you have some things to say for what you do need to work on. Right. It's kind of like, you don't want to just like show up to a marathon and be like, I'm ready. (laughs) It's all spirit, all confidence. It's not, it's not. Right, but the, I think the context of a race is is kind of helpful. Um, and, and like you train for it, you don't just try. You train and you, and you prepare and you make sure you have the right equipment and you make sure you are healthy and you. Does does that make sense? So it's like oh, yeah. you show up and you just still hard, as unless I don't know you're just really good at it. But it's like for most people, the average person, like this is a difficult thing. So yeah, th- those are some some good things. Yeah, um, being a student of yourself, developing emotional literacy is really critical, and resilience. That some of that though, you only get it when you when it happens. Like you yeah. can come so when you're in it, you know. So other things, uh, lots of organizations. Everyone has a training that they make you attend. You know, usually weeks at a time. Because, I mean, in there you talk about, like, yeah, cross-cultural learning, different things like that, petty intros into language learning. I would say preparing for that is really helpful. Most of the time people go to a language program in their location, so you don't have to necessarily learn it before. It might help you, goodness. But it also might not be required, so I would say that depends on your location. Yeah, I would say just like learning how to be a learner would be important. Like, how do you learn? What helps you learning developing some good rhythms in your life and rhythms that travel. So, because like, it'll be disrupted, you know, like you might leave your house and not get to go back for months at a time, or you'd go to conferences or there's just some extra things, um, more disruption that might happen in your life. And so I would say developing rhythms for like your morning or your evening for how you're going to relate to people, establishing like expectations for what it looks like for you to communicate with people back home is really helpful. I've done that well sometimes and not well at other times. And yeah, that that's just one thing that it's like, oh, people will tell you that, but you should actually do it. Um, yeah. Like do, do that thing, man. Yeah. And I just, yeah, you, you're never truly ready. Like you're never like, I have checked all the boxes, so I am ready to go. Like your org will give you lots of things that you need to check off as they should. But I I think more than anything is like a lifestyle of dependence. Dependence on Jesus, I'm assuming. (laughs) Not some other weird thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like learning to depend on him. And that's like an ongoing, you know, process. But I would say like, oh, what's the kind of, what's the kind of person that's probably going to do well? Well, not because they're just the most flexible. Like there's things that their characteristics that might be like, you should have those. And I'm like, what if I don't have all of those? Like, am I disqualified? Like. Not necessarily. Jesus can be made strong in those. And so, but yeah, learning about yourself and your story will go a long way to like that being transformed by Jesus. And so learning to take that to him. Yes. So if someone's coming to the end of this wonderful conversation and feeling a little tug on their heart, yeah, like maybe this is for me. Mm-hmm. What 
they might, I feel like any kind of circumstance like that might bring up thoughts like, but how do I know for sure? What would you recommend someone do? It might be simple, plain advice or something more complex. What would you recommend they do to test and discern? And if it is the right thing, what are the first steps to just get going and get deployed? That's a great question. So many different things. I would say it's hard, right? Because sometimes you have this idea in your head and you're like, do I share it with people or not? Because it's like, you're not, you don't know if you're quite ready yet. Like, is it just this little dream or is it really like, oh, I I might really want to do that. I I think um, some things that have been helpful are getting the input and feedback from others. Like I'm thinking about this. Could you tell me what you really think about it? And again, we've got to learn to be separate from other people and learn to like, I might need to decide this even if people that are important to me don't agree, family or something like that. That can be hard. But there's wisdom in taking like input from other people that know you, that care about you, that kind of know, yeah, this might be great. Or like, I've got some concerns. So I would say like taking it to trusted people, don't broadcast it on the social medias. Yeah. And I would, Emily, Freeman talks about this in her book, like, as you think about it, like, is your soul like, <gasps> like, does it rise or does it fall? Kind of that sense of like, is something in you coming alive? I just don't think like you going to the world to talk about the gospel, that's not coming from Satan. So like, <laughs> there's like something in that to run on, you know, like, yeah, okay. I feel like, well, I would, it would depend on the person. Well, are you involved in an organization? Like to me, I'm like, what's your next yes toward that? it's not going to be maybe that you're on the field full time. Like that might not be where you are because there's other steps along the way. You might need some more training. I don't know. I don't know how old you are, you know? So, but I would say like, look for the next opportunity to say yes and do it. I do think, and I'm like really convicted as I'm talking about this with you. I think as I look at my story, I see how like praying for the world was a really big thread in that, that like just knowing about it and praying for it. I hate to like, well, just pray about it. I have a lot of other thoughts about that. But what I'm serious though is like, can you meaningfully engage and like, can, can you start to do that and see what God might be doing in your heart? Does that make sense? And so then I would say, if you're involved with any kind of church or organization, like intentional will be looking to say like, what's my next yes? Do I speak Spanish? Should I go do something there? Do I Am I studying Middle Eastern studies? Like, should I go? You know, is is there something already present that I can leverage and say, let me do that? I just think saying your next yes is really important. May that be a lesson to us all, every person, just the next yes. That's all. You don't have to have it all figured out. Your very next step might be just connecting with someone, maybe at your church who has been on some mission trips and they might know people, they might have some recommendations on certain orgs that you would look into being sent with. Just maybe it's just one conversation. It doesn't mean like actually pledging two years to the next company you Google. (laughs) Right. Right. I think, yeah, I think I would be wary of like, it's not like you're going to find the perfect fit everywhere. Like every org has something wrong with it. They're not perfect. But I would say if there's, you're like, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm about this thing. Like this particular vision is really compelling to me. I would say, yeah, then do that. Do um, it. Yeah. Last question for you, my friend. What is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your career and missions thus far? Oh, 
What a question. Right. I think maybe I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I think something that I'm continually surprised by that I heard before I went overseas to, well, to East Asia. So I heard it like five years ago is that God doesn't need me, but he's really like, he's glad that I'm with him. That like, he doesn't save me to use me. He saved me because he loves me. And that there's a good shift that happens in me in in how I lead in how I um, engage with students when I'm like, I don't have anything to prove. And I am going to probably struggle my whole life with that feeling if I, I need to prove something that's, that's just that's part of my story. But I just think this sense of like, shut up. I can really just show up. Like I can just roll out and be like, let's go see what Jesus might be doing on campus and find out like, that's really possible like ministry it doesn't need to be that I have to have all these numbers and results and it's not it's not a magic formula there's no silver bullet but that God is just really glad that I'm his and I can like in that gladness go see what he's up to that's been a big lesson amen my soul leapt when you shared that because I realized that was the thing way earlier when I was like oh there was something else I was gonna highlight that just meant so much to me it's when you said that little nugget that God doesn't need me and also he didn't save you he didn't use you it's out of his grace and love for you if oh gosh this could be a 30 second podcast that just like everyone needs to hear that one clip all of it but like holy cow, if I understood that earlier in my life, heck, even last week, last month, all the time, it's like a reminder that I need like this savior complex that could show up in trying to find purpose in our lives and answering that question, what do I do with my life? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to for God's kingdom or to earn worthiness or to make something of my life. We're all traumatized by these statements. I should totally have said that earlier. Yes, the whole savior complex, like I'm coming and bringing this good news. Like you are, but oh, oh goodness. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Savior complex. I actually have a a podcast on it. Um, I think it was like episode eight way back, like 60 episodes ago about how God doesn't need you to fulfill your calling. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not worried about that. <laughs> well, Abby, thank you for this gift of a conversation. I am have been so transformed by the glimpses of some of the concepts you've shared that I got to hear from you when I was with you as one of part of the teams that got to go on a summer trip in East Asia, uh, right after college. And uh, so many things that you shared today, I realized I'm able to have a more blossomed understanding and a real conversation about it because seeds were planted back then. And so I pray that this conversation that people get to hear, it's the same effect on them too. Like let these things just blossom in your life. Oh gosh, thank you, Abby. I so love and appreciate all that you shared. Thanks, Kelsey. If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. 
If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the Job Library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.